0: moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created
1: out of nothing like a comic book girl
2: Hey. Good morning, class. I see that it is one minute past our meeting time and very few students are here. Yes, I see your hand.
3: Yeah, I, there's a huge storm right now, and I know a bunch of people have power outages, especially near the college.
2: I see. Thank you for the context. Uh,
3: Parker, Parker Redivere.
2: I see another hand.
3: Yeah, I
1: actually, I live further away because of my job, but my power actually flickered, like, right before class. So if I, like, disappear, um, it's because my internet disconnected again. Oh, and this is Cassandra Kelly.
2: Very well. In that case, let us begin discussing Animorphs Volume 42, The Journey. Annika Smith was assigned the synopsis. Annika Smith, are you ready to provide it?
4: This is Annika Smith. In The Journey, the Animorphs demorph after another battle, only to realize that someone has taken a photo of them mid-demorph. While they work to deal with this latest crisis, the Helmacrons appear and demand access to the Escafil device to power their spaceships. In order to obtain the device, they crawl up Marco's nose and hold him hostage, threatening to injure him or stop his heart to force the Animorphs to cooperate. In order to counteract this threat, the Animorphs use Helmicron technology to shrink down very small and chase the Helmicrons. Meanwhile, Marco tries to track down the mystery photographer, while forbidden to morph for fear of harming the Animorphs inside his body. The Animorphs encounter the Helmicrons and realize that the aliens booby-trapped their shrinking technology. The humans are much, much smaller than the Helmicrons. The two factions battle it out in Marco's body, with the Helmicrons willing to hurt or even kill him, while the Animorphs desperately. desperately try to protect their friend. Marco has multiple run-ins with the photographer's dog, and ends up trapped in a closet, angry, and forced to morph into a cockroach. The Animorphs subdue the Helmicrons and go home. Later, Rachel realizes that Marco was so irritable because the dog had infected him with rabies. Well, she had seen a rabies virus in his bloodstream, but because cockroaches can't carry rabies, he turned out to be
2: fine. Thank you, Annika. Does anyone have anything to say to start the discussion? Yes, go ahead.
1: This is Cassandra Kelly again, and I just want to say, did they ever, like, go back and tell the dog's owners that he had rabies? Because rabies is serious, like, that will kill you. Let's avoid
2: speculating and keep this discussion topical to the events of the text. Anyone else? I also have discussion questions if no one else has a point to raise.
1: Well,
5: I also want to... Let's
2: hear from someone else. Yes, you.
5: This is Air Sarin, and I want to know, what's the Magic School Bus?
2: I suspect your fellow student asylum may know the answer to your inquiry.
6: Yes, indeed. I am familiar with the Magic School Bus. It was an animated TV series that ran in the 1990s and again in the 2010s about the adventures of a class of children and their unusual teacher, Miss Frizzle, who is in possession of the titular Magic School Bus. They embark on a variety of scientifically educational adventures, including shrinking down to a microscopic size and entering the body of a fellow student. The Animorphs would be aware of this series, hence the reference to it.
5: Got it. Thanks, Ursula.
2: Anyone else?
6: I have a question of my own. Is this truly how the human digestive system works? I found it upsetting and unpleasant to read.
1: Speaking from experience, uh, the human digestive system is pretty upsetting and unpleasant for some of us, too.
2: Please wait to speak until <laughs> I call on you. Yes, you. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, uh, Parker Onivir here. I'm pretty mad I can confirm that this is pretty much how the human digestive system works.
2: Are there any other questions from the class? No? Then let us turn to some of the discussion questions I have prepared for all of you today. First, which journals form the web of influence for this text? Yes, you?
0: Hi, this is uh, Taylor Bloom. I think the obvious ones are the ones where the Helmicrons have appeared before, or I I think there's just one where they show up and one where they were mentioned. They were in the Anteater one.
2: Yes, volume 24. Which other journals would you say influence this one?
0: Well, I mean, probably the ones where Axe has hacked stuff before, but I don't know which ones those are off the top of my head.
3: Yeah, Volume 2 is relevant here because, uh, uh, uh that one was scary. scary, and Chapman's daughter almost died.
2: Let's engage a value question. Did Marco make the correct decision when he morphed while carrying the other Animorphs? Go ahead.
0: This is Taylor Bloom. I mean, in retrospect, like, yeah, but hindsight's twenty twenty.
6: That idiom is new to me. Would you mind clarifying?
0: Oh, yeah, it means, like... That the right choice to have made is obvious once time has passed. Like, in retrospect, 2020 is like a,
5: um, it means you have really good eyesight.
6: Ah, an optometry reference. I understand. Thank you, Taylor.
5: Anytime. Okay, sure, but there's no way to be selective about who inside your weird bot is gonna get crushed when you morph. Like, he couldn't have known that he wasn't going to kill all his friends or himself. Oh, this is uh, Ice run by the way.
3: I think in the moment, it's the right choice to make, though. Like, the alternative was just not just getting attacked by the dog more, but also, like, being discovered, breaking and entering at best, and, like, doing obvious secret animore stuff at worst. Like, could he have waited for a more opportune moment considering his circumstances? Like, I don't think so. There's no way in that situation to guarantee that you're not going to be, like, under constant controller scrutiny starting the second you get found in that closet or, you know, just get shot.
5: Okay, wait, I have a hypothetical. Let's say you're a normal human person, uh, or a controller, it doesn't matter, and you're downstairs in your house, and your rabbit dog starts barking his head off.
2: Consider that Escafiel and his team foresaw the eventuality presented in volume 42 when inventing morphing technology. Once class is over, I suggest you do some research into the mechanics of morphing for a conclusive answer. Don't mind if I do. Let's move on. How do the events of this journal fit into the arc of Marco's evolution from jester to pragmatist? As we have a smaller class size than usual, I will allow you to speak without being called on, as long as you stay on topic and do not intentionally speak over other students. I reserve the right to mute you if that is the case. I do still ask that you try to state your names, especially if you do not speak up often.
5: Well, I mean, he has to... Be okay with them going on a seek and destroy mission up his nose. Like, he tries to joke about it, but he knows what has to be done. I mean, he tries to get a couple jokes off about it.
1: Yeah, but only once he's accepted that he is where their next mission takes place. He's actually very pragmatic about it.
5: Yeah, like Cassie tells him to calm down a bit, but we can't really know how much he was actually freaking out. To me, it didn't seem that bad.
6: I believe the end of chapter four contains a joke. Quote, Sure, Marco said weakly make yourself at home just try to be neat think of it as the national nose land keep it in good shape for generations to come end quote as cassandra mentioned this is after marco has accepted the situation
2: how would marco have reacted differently if these events had occurred say before he knew that his mother was the host body for then one
6: i mean
3: probably the same yeah we don't get a ton of characterization out of Marco in this one, to be honest. And a good chunk of the back half we have to put in the context of he literally was beginning to express symptoms of rabies.
1: Oh my god, have I ever told you guys about my close encounter with, like, a probably rabid skunk? It was so funny because first I was like, oh, cute, baby skunk stumbling around. And then I was like, huh, weird that it's out during the day. And then I was like, well, it's not that weird, but then I was like, hmm, but it's out in the middle of the day in a busy neighborhood that has at least one outdoor cat, which you know, terrible. And then I was like okay it saw me through the open window which by the way was like at ground level because this was a basement apartment and full of mold um and it wasn't super Cassandra. freaked out and then i was like wait actually it's stumbling around a lot and isn't scared of me at all and then i had to like scramble to shut the window while it started to pull its put its tail up and then i called animal this is not
2: the correct setting for telling stories of wildlife encounters
4: i mean i would argue let us that it hear is. from someone else yeah, hi, this is Annika Smith again. I'm a little confused by the time frame here. How long does it take for rabies symptoms to even start showing?
3: Uh, it takes a little while, like, at least a few days?
5: Yeah, and how long does this mission last? I think it was a day or two. Yeah, good point. Right, Was so was his aggression actually because of the rabies?
2: If Parker is correct about the how long it would take someone with rabies to begin to show symptoms, then perhaps the timeline Ah. Are fudging as i believe humans say i do not understand what a delicious chocolatey treat has to do with obscuring facts was introduced pre-publication in order to protect sensitive information pertaining to this mission from the public the animorphs surely knew best what information would be too dangerous to share
3: right sure i mean also probably consider that marco's a child's children generally start to show symptoms faster than adults. does rabies
5: only spread by bite because i wouldn't be surprised if there were different forms of transmission that
3: as far as i'm aware uh blood saliva basically any any bodily
5: fluid Mm, okay and he was bit so
6: personally i find the concept of rabies far more horrifying than possibly any other disease ailment or parasitic organism that we have learned about in the journals thus far my research says that the incubation period can be six years between the initial bite and onset of symptoms. And the list of symptoms is terrifying. I am frankly amazed that humanity has survived sharing a planet with this virus. Oh, Kiehindras, I think Cassandra is trying to say something.
2: Yes, Cassandra. <laughs>
1: um, I think there might actually be some, like, mm, interesting analysis in, like, comparing Yerkes and Rabies, because, like, both of them kind of control your mind, right? Like, Rabies controls your mind in a really spooky way. Like, you get scared of water, you really want to bite people, you get angry, and they both make you act in ways that you wouldn't normally act. On one hand, like, with Rabies, I think you probably don't know that you're acting weird. It's, like, part of the virus because it wants... To spread, it doesn't want you to. Well, I mean, the virus doesn't want. I think, because it's a virus. My my point is that like, it's part of the virus that you don't realize that you're acting weirdly. Um, like Marco in the journal, he he justifies his anger away, and he is just like, of course I'm angry. There's little people battling it out inside my body, um, instead of realizing that something weird is going on with his behavior. Whereas with a Yerk you are aware and you do know that you're being controlled, but also like rabies uh, kills you horribly and you might infect other people, which I guess is kind of a thing with Yerkes too, like with Tom trying to get Jake to go to the sharing. I think in a weird way, I almost feel like a, like, <laughs> like rabies is actually the worse option.
2: I do see your point of comparison between the scourge of the Yerkes and the rabies virus. As both are devastating That's diseases.
1: What? Never mind.
2: <laughs> I believe we have spoken about rabies enough. Like Urse Island, I do find myself rather unsettled by this topic. Let us move on to my next question. In the context of Volume 24, this text presents a dramatic shift in the norms of Helmackron governance. Is this a new stage in the dialectic relationship between humans and Helmacrons? Let's consider the ways in which a dialectic between two species significantly alters them.
0: This is Taylor, what's a dialectic?
2: A dialectic is a human concept concerning a relationship between two entities. I suggest you investigate further using the library's digital resources after class.
3: I mean, has anything about the Helmacron
5: the and Amorph interactions really changed anything? Hello,
4: oh, I'm Alan. Well, the Anamorphs introduced the concept of gender equality to the Helmicrons, So, yeah. Oh,
5: right. Yeah, they, they just
4: did. Indeed.
2: That. And how do we see that playing out here?
0: Well, the male and female Helmicrons are competing with each other now in this journal. And if I remember correctly, their society was uh it was originally matriarchal.
6: Yes, that is correct. The female Helmicrons are, generally speaking, larger and more aggressive than the males. Judging by what few pre-Helmicron revolution documents we have, the female Helmicrons once dominated their society. However, the matter was somewhat complicated by their tendency to ritually kill their leaders. Not that I am judging, of course.
0: So was it good for the Helmicrons that they learned about gender equality?
4: Well, the two groups spent a lot of the journal fighting which slows them down and keeps them from succeeding. That's good for the Animorphs and us.
1: Are there non-binary Helmicrons? What? I'm just wondering.
6: Not that I am aware of, no.
5: I mean, whether or not non-binary people can identify themselves, don't they always exist within any binary system of gender?
1: Yeah, true. Although I do wonder, like, because the Helmicrons are like a hive mind, so... Why do they even have a gender binary if they're a hive mind? Shouldn't they have a gender unary? Is it
5: purely a sex binary?
1: I don't know. I think it's it's hard to tell because this was the 1990s, so, like, the the animorphs don't really distinguish between the two. Nor do the Helmicrons.
3: Well, I guess we don't know much about the notions of a Helmicron life after death, but when a given Helmicron dies, it doesn't necessarily get, like, reincarnated as another Helmicron. Its, bo- I- its mind just kind of enters... The general Helmicron yeah. consciousness, am I correct?
1: I think so. Which would
3: imply that it's not purely physiological. It's not purely based on sort of like,
5: quote-unquote, biological sex.
1: How Wait, how does that imply that? Go back, how does that imply that?
5: Because they have a a, a quote-unquote soul that has qualities of them specifically, including mm. their gender. Is that what you're implying? Parker? Right, yeah, exactly. And it wouldn't make sense for them to
3: make their gender such an important part of their sort of social relations with other Helmicrons. If that didn't persist, you know, past the point of death.
1: Well, I don't know. It could just be that, like, it's the uniqueness of their experiences not related to gender that, like, sort of make them unique when they reassimilate. Because it's just like, you know, a different Helmokron will have seen different things, will have experienced different things.
3: At least from our perspective as, like, sort of third-hand recipients of this narrative, we don't see the social divisions of Helmicron's society along lines of employment. We see them along lines of gender, which to me implies that gender is more salient to them.
1: Their employment is based off their gender.
6: Yes, I believe the males were originally regarded as a servant class.
5: I think jobs is perhaps a little bit too specific a term for what you were talking about here because the context of their society is not capitalist as far as I'm aware, but Or economic in any way. Well, sure, but, like, task roles.
3: I mean, like, you social animals have individuals of the species who are specialized for given tasks, even though they don't sort of function under capitalism. Like, you got drone bees and worker bees, etc.
5: Right, I just want to make sure we were making that distinction.
1: I feel like maybe they are segregating on the basis of physical sex, which then I guess begs the question of whether or not there are, like, intersex homicrons. But maybe it's just like, you know, this group is larger and generally more aggressive. This group is smaller and generally less aggressive. So they kind of, since they can see each other sorted into different groups, they're just sort of like, you know, maybe their species is just like kind of competitive. And so they're just like, oh, you're the other group. I don't like you. And it's not even, it's just like how they physically look at maybe, I don't know.
3: Given that a direct comparison is drawn between Helmocrons and fungi in this book. Mm-hmm. Fun men. Fun <laughs> Fun folk. Fun folks. That, to me, makes me wonder if notions of male and female as they exist within a system of sexual reproduction are even relevant to Helmicrons at all. Maybe these are, like, shorthands that either got used in the books or they get used in Helmicron society as they have come to sort of... Because they're...
1: they're slurs. <laughs> they're, like, they're just calling each other slurs the whole time.
3: Uh... Oh, God. Because they're, like, they're, they're a galaxy-spanning species. They've ostensibly conquered, like, hundreds of planets, right? So I imagine sexual reproduction is kind of the dominant form of reproduction amongst the species that they are conquering, but...
5: Yeah, you wouldn't know anything about sexual reproduction, Parker. I wouldn't,
3: but, like, I imagine that... I, I don't know, I have a hard time, given the whole way that, like, the whole fungible species works, given the direct comparison to fungi, like, that they wouldn't have some sort of system of sporulation, and, like, every fungus produces spores right like there aren't like male and female mushrooms right everybody just spores a bunch hold on
1: hold on as the the oh yeah you know things about this yeah i as a resident person who eats weird mushrooms in the forest to be clear t.a Indros, all other anyone not the fun mushrooms for one thing the fun mushrooms don't grow a ton around here for another i'm not interested (laughs) Um anyway, yeah, so basically every if, time if that you, I have if you I mean, if you happen to have them. I don't. Every time when I have spore printed a mushroom, it has had spores. Some of them have not had very many spores. Some of them have permanently stained my coffee table. So I think they all have spores.
3: So I feel like it's probably useful to decouple Helmicron notions of male and female from notions of male and female that exist as we understand them in a sexual in a system of sexual reproduction.
1: Yeah. Maybe they're just like doing a bit. It's just, it's just an elaborate bit.
3: I like the idea that they're slurs. Anyway, um...
1: <laughs> you can't say that in class, Parker! All right. She's kidding. <laughs> She's kidding, T.A.
2: What about the Animorphs? Has their interaction with the Hellmacrons, or indeed other species, affected them?
3: I think it affected them physically since they shrank. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean i yeah. wonder if it did make the anamorphs also think at all about gender because if i remember correctly in the previous book about the Helmicrons, the people who talk to them are i think cassie and marco I and mean, cassie's doing it because she's like very much about equality in general um and i think marco is kind of doing it because he thinks it's a little funny but so i wondered if like Do you think the Animorphs ever, like, thought more about gender because of this? The Animorphs don't, like, overly conform to, like, stereotypical gender dynamics in their group, but they they do conform sometimes.
5: But their struggles with with their relationships to their gender, especially as adolescents, is part of their journey.
1: Yeah, I, I just feel like there's a lot of, like, gendered stuff that they all just kind of accept, like, and take for granted, and don't examine, which, like, it's the 1990s and their kids, so it's not like I blame them. It's just, it seems like it could be a really interesting catalyst for a lot of, like, thought and discussion for them.
5: I'm a little surprised that Cassie didn't take it farther. <laughs> I figured yeah. she would at least have sort of relayed this experience to her friends. I mean, maybe they have more important things going on.
3: My guess is that Marco Animorph has never had a conscious thought about gender in
5: his entire life.
6: And indeed... Meeting the Animorphs caused the Helmicron Empire to dissolve into civil war and chaos.
5: Mm -hmm. That totally makes sense, because previously they had developed what seems like a little bit of an empire to maintain order, for what purpose we don't know, but (laughs) there was just uh, rules to everything, and half the Helmicrons want to uphold those rules, and the other half want to tear them down because they obviously want to just be on top and they want to be the ones who are stabbed a bunch and killed and sitting in a chair so (laughs) (laughs) just there there isn't a one-to-one comparison for gender in like the social class term or like the considerations of sex with comparisons to humans and obviously that's the same for all species throughout the galaxy but helmicrons are i think the easiest example to examine because their (laughs) society has been through so many changes since you know this this is a difficult discussion to have because i don't want to offend anyone but i
1: mean i think we can always have the discussion the question is just whether or not we're offensive
5: about it i don't want to be offensive about it but like do men have rights ever
2: (laughs) 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 Perhaps this conversation would be more productive in the context of another class, such as one on Helmacron social dynamics and gender.
5: Is there a class on that? Because I'm probably going to take it next semester.
2: Let us move on to species besides the Helmacrons. Do we see any changes in the Animorphs separating procedures or leadership structures of the events of Volume 40? How has exposure to adult and lights of one's high repute impacted them?
5: I think it affected Axe the most. Say more. Uh... I do think that whenever other Andalites show up in a journal, it kind of isolates Axe from the other Animorphs, because it makes it really clear how he is a different species from the rest of them, and he was raised differently.
1: Well, Tobias.
5: Yeah, true, but he doesn't have as much of the cultural context as Axe. I
1: wouldn't call evilism cultural context, necessarily. Or actually, I might.
3: I would, I, would. I would say that the biggest way the end has affected them would be giving them giving them the morphic technology oh yeah hmm.
1: that would do it ha. yeah they kind of win on that one no one
0: uses fax machines but call, you'll hear the noise Statue left by ancient Greeks the person
1: exposure to the andalite like noble warrior culture has been affecting jake Uh, i honestly i should have been keeping track to see if the like whole prince jake don't call me prince thing kept happening but i do feel like i feel like a lot of our human culture especially back then did also go really hard for the like noble warrior stereotype but i feel like if i was like a random kid and i like had learned all of this and then I was trying to sort of grow into a leadership role even more beyond just like the flat stereotype that my media was showing me. And then I wanted to, you know, be a a good leader. But then it's like, oh, also an alien culture also has a lot of these same social norms that you have in your society. It's everywhere.
5: Yeah, I think that's what kind of troubles me is that it really seems like... Homogeneous, and it makes it feel like there's this base level of like mm, evolutionary psychology that is consistent throughout the whole galaxy to a degree that you don't have to question things when you run into a new alien society you can just assume that everything is the way that you were raised which obviously this is a really really narrow lens it's a very specific time in history and it's a specific social experience within one nation so it wouldn't surprise me if Jake was having some issues with dealing with that and all of them were having some issues with dealing with that but I definitely think that they all deal with that in better ways obviously Axe has the hardest time with it and then Jake is also struggling with the way that Andalite society has impacted them. And Tobias is figuring out that as well, like what it means to him. And we've talked, well, I, I mean, I don't know if anyone else in the class has made this comparison, but he's often compared to a transgender experience. Oh, yeah,
1: I think I've read something about
3: that. I mean, yeah, can, uh, can speak to that community. Tobias is one of ours.
2: And is this similarity between cultures a bad thing?
4: I would say that it is definitely not a bad thing. We see in any dialectic between cultures and any cross-culture interactions, there's pretty specific ways to measure like how valuable that interaction has been. Like, does war happen? Is there sharing of resources? And especially with the developing of language. You know, that's a really good way of measuring the prosperity after said meeting. And I think, Obviously, the fact that Andalites and humans can take courses together in college (laughs) is a pretty good indicator that we have a similar vision of the future.
3: I think there's something to be said about this kind of cross-cultural universal experience in the context of the Urk Empire as well. I mean, we in Earth American English have a pretty succinct term that like uh sums up the structure of their government despite the fact that it originated independently like light years away from our home and i think that there's probably something to be said there about the fact that through independent invention power structures will arise and certain power structures will kind of float to the top as the things that are maximally effective in controlling a population
2: And what do you think it says about humans that you already had a word to discuss the power dynamics of the Yurk Empire?
3: I mean, we're not exempt from that sort of independent invention. We're not exempt from inventing empire. We are no better than any other species in the galaxy, necessarily. We did the same thing.
1: Also, like, humans are just really good at making up words.
5: We have a really advanced speaking method. Not all species have advanced uh, mouthpieces as we do. So while they can still create incredibly complex language, we have such a diversity in the kinds of languages that we develop and also the kinds of words that we develop. So not that our languages are better than anyone else's, but hoo boy, we do have a lot of different words for a lot of different things. Yeah. And,
3: you know, within human language, in the history of human language, there are, I would say, probably most of the languages that at least I know about have some sort of word for this concept because Empire tends to make itself known.
2: Alright class, moving on to another discussion question. Did the Helmacrons intentionally reset the shrinking device? In, In your estimation, did the Animorphs have a more efficient or less dangerous method for dealing with this scenario at their disposal?
4: It's in the journal that they reset it on purpose, right? Yeah, they do. I'm
1: honestly surprised Marco didn't think of that. Like, it seems like something he would do in their place, you
4: know? Yes! I can totally see Marco doing that. He was a little preoccupied, though.
3: What about other ways they could have handled this? Like, maybe something a little less... I don't know... Invasive? (laughs) Can you just...
1: Can you just imagine if Marco, like... Picked his nose and solved the problem, just swoop, save the world with the power of nose picking.
3: Aww. Aww.
0: I wonder if uh, if there was like a way to draw the Helmicrons back out of Marco's body instead of going in to extract them. And-
3: <laughs> 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 like extracting like, up some kind of like tiny tractor
5: beam? He did have the Helmicron technology right there to use. Maybe it would have taken too long?
1: He does have time to set up the shrinking ray. Oh, but that is already, uh, like, set up, uh, so it's not something he'd have to build from scratch, like a hypothetical tractor beam, so... Yeah, he probably <laughs> didn't just have time. Maybe, maybe if they just made him sneeze really hard... Brides of black
3: pepper! Alright, get it ready, Marco!
1: <laughs> yeah! Haven't you ever sneezed so hard you felt your soul leave your body?
5: <laughs> oh, yeah. What?
1: Sorry, it's, it's just a saying, like, a really hard sneeze. I don't know, I have a lot of, like, allergies. Side note, I've totally had giant chunks of mucus follow the exact same path. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay,
3: okay, 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 thank you.
4: Or they could have morphed something small without using the shrink ray.
6: Do you want a fly crawling up your nose?
4: Oh, uh, yeah, I see your point.
6: I am amazed they pulled it off at all as they were at such a disadvantage in size, number, and weaponry. For
0: one of the more, like, genuinely lighthearted journals, this was really stressful.
1: Yeah, I was surprisingly tense the whole time. That part where Rachel was melting in the stomach acid? Ugh, uh, oh.
5: <laughs> so gross.
2: Vegas of the inefficient human digestive system aside, let us move on to the last question. We are moving at an unusually fast pace, due to the missing students. We touched on this before, but I would like us all to focus in on it. To what extent do the events of this journal reflect the events of previous journals?
4: It's really personal. And it's really personal for Marco, which reminds me a lot of the plot with his mother being a controller. Once again, the stakes are highest for him in a way that's really, um, intimate, I guess?
1: Yeah, I would not let my friends shrink down Tiny and invade my body. Sorry guys, I'm just gonna accept my fate and die.
5: (laughs) I feel like a lot of the time, when they choose to have Marco narrate a journal, it's because one of the central conflicts, or part of one, is that it's something really intertwined with his everyday life. I feel, it always feels like there's a
3: trolley problem, like haunting every Marco journal. A trolley problem? It's this, uh, it's this um, overly simplified thought experiment in sort of Western philosophy. It comes down to whether or not you would sacrifice one person's life to save the lives of many. Sometimes people generalize it to be just like, would you save thing one or thing two, you know?
5: An important part of the distinction is that you have to actually flip the switch to kill just one person, whereas you can sit by and do nothing in order to kill lots of people. Yeah, you have to make an intentional
3: choice to do something that is, by the
5: logic of the
3: example, is posited as harm reduction. I hate the trolley problem.
1: Oh, and it's called the trolley problem because it's about a trolley running people over and killing them.
6: Fascinating.
3: Uh, but anyway, it always feels like in the Marco journals, he has to weigh things, like in the trolley problem, like morph and save himself, but maybe kill his friends, uh, engineer his mother's supposed death, or expose the Animorphs to danger. If I can get Doylist for a second. Oh, please do. I think that... I think that when the Animorphs or whoever were picking who to have as the narrator for each of these journals, however they wrote these, because of course we know that they didn't all sit down together after the war and just neatly write them out.
1: Well, unless you subscribe to the theory Please don't
3: start. Anyway, I think that maybe they chose to play to each of their individual strengths, you know? Marco gets the trolley problem type journals, where it seems like a straightforward binary choice, but it really isn't. Uh, Cassie gets the really tangled ethical dilemmas- what do the other ones
1: get? I think Rachel gets the internal turmoil ones a lot, like identity crisis stuff.
5: Ax definitely gets the ones where having a different cultural perspective is
2: important. An interesting observation, uh ah.
5: Parker Renevier.
2: Thank you, Parker Renevier. I will make a note for Professor Leon of your excellent analysis. Uh,
1: th- thank you. Man, how come I don't get any nice notes? Joking, joking, sorry.
5: I do think it's cool that we see the Helmicrons again. Not to be, like, a nerd for <laughs> random <laughs> trivia for journals. Gravel but... before us! <laughs> we were just <laughs> talking in our smaller group discussion the uh, other week about how there are some species of alien that show up in one journal, and then we never learn anything else about them ever again. So it's really cool to at least get a little bit more info on an update on Helmicron society. Uh, and this is Erso rent.
6: Oh, which species was it? Um... I, no,
3: I don't... The, uh, Venber, right? Remember. Yeah, the Venber. They're just, uh, they're just there. And then they're not there anymore. We don't ever see them again.
1: And we get to see the aftermath of the Animorphs' interference from the first time they met the Helmicrons. Um, not that I object to that interference. I'm a big fan of gender equality over here. But it is still interference. It's, like, very American of them.
3: Yeah, gender equality is pretty deep.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's not. It's just also they, like... It is a very American thing to look at, like a culture, and just be like, "Oh, I know best." Like in this situation, they did know best, but also, well, did they? I don't know. Maybe we the assume males that they know best. Dare
3: best. Yeah. I bring back up Cassandra, the uh, the Ender's Game books, uh, which have that whole bit about that alien species who's...
1: the Catholic pigs,
3: the Catholic pigs, yeah, who uh, who who propagate by sacrificing the mother's body such that the young may eat, and then all the humans are like, "Oh God, it's so horrible." How do we fix them? And then one of the humans is like, "Wait, maybe we shouldn't fix them because that's just how we they also are." Have
1: sex with trees, if I remember correctly. Uh,
3: I forgot about that part. I apologize yeah, for have, ever bringing sex up with trees, <laughs> ever bringing up any no. awful thing by that awful awful man.
1: Sorry for the rest of the class. Uh, don't read the Ender's game books by. Orson don't read Stockholm.
3: them; they're <laughs> not good. I was trying to get all comparative lit, and you were like, "Oh, I'm so excited for you to do comparative lit, not uh, snore." And then you talked about Ender's game for like ten minutes.
4: What kind of comparative literature are you guys doing? This is a historical document, so how is that relevant?
1: In my, on my end, at least, I was just bringing up Ender's Game because we were talking about the burdens of leadership and, like, being a child in war, like you know, how culpable you are for the decisions you make. But the problem is, I'm not actually a history student. I'm in this, sorry for, like, a requirement. So I couldn't think of any good, like, historical stuff to compare this to. So I was just like, oh, Ender's Game. I mean, it sucks, but I did love it as a kid, so.
5: That makes sense, especially because a lot of the ways that this is distributed are similar to fiction you know we we say comparative literature but it's really just our way of finding another personal real-life example of figuring out how to interpret the text.
3: Cassandra got off on the whole Enders game thing, and then that made me think about another book that I had been reading just for fun, which was uh, Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, which is also oh, about I love like, a book. young person. Yeah, which is also about just a young person whose world kind of collapses and who has to put her whole situation back together and sort of build a community. But, yeah, we basically just got off topic, and we, we, we call it comparative literature to sort of sound fancy about it.
2: And with that, I believe we have covered all the relevant topics in what may well be the shortest class discussion we have in thus far.
1: I have noticed that our class discussions
5: here with you are very thorough. Sorry if this is like a a bad moment, but is... do you know if Professor Leon is okay?
2: I believe he is improving and will be able to return to class soon.
6: Oh good. I miss him. Not that you are a bad TA. But I very much enjoy his teaching style, and I hope he is well. Oh, tell Professor Leoni feel better.
2: I will be sure to pass on your well wishes for him.
3: Yeah, I think
1: all of us are thinking of him. Yeah, get mm-hmm. better soon.
4: Yeah, get well. Professor Lonnie, I just want you to know that we're thinking of you, and I hope that your recovery goes smoothly. I'm hoping we see him soon.
2: Look at the time. I may even be able to get a in before my next appointment. I hope to see you all next week. Stay safe.
0: All right, cool. Bye, everybody. Stay safe.
1: Stay safe. Stay Stay safe. safe. Bye, everyone. Bye. Stay Stay safe, everyone. Bye. The Morph Report is on Patreon. We care a lot about accessibility, and we are paying someone to transcribe all of our episodes. We have a variety of tiers to choose from. Some of our tiers have some pretty juicy rewards. For example... If you pay enough money, you can even force us to watch the TV show and potentially read the other series by K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant, Everworld. We would really love it if you would check us out and consider supporting us. Thank you. Stay safe.
3: Thanks to Noelle Miccarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl, Off the EP Field Notes from Another Place, and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of their music at noellemiccarelli.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Scrivener Lamb, and Blythe. You could follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Pod Morphs, tweet at us or send us an email and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe.
5: you love the Animorphs series? How about podcasts? Do you love podcasts? Well, then listen no further, dear listener, and allow me to introduce the Animorphs podcast directory. Here you'll find an ever-growing list of Animorphs-themed podcasts to sit your every Animorphin desire. Check it out. We'll see you there.